Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe that helps us get more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so thrilled to have with me my my good friend uh, for a long time, Anita uh, Kramer-Wells. So welcome, Anita. Thank you. So glad to be here. So for this episode, I want to talk to you about something I've been working really hard on on our new website, the Enlightened Edge EDU website, uh, where we're trying to have just edifying experiential or uh, edifying educational experiences. And someone suggested this to me. We kind of created a little board for this, and uh, someone on the board suggested I do this. So I'm going to see if I can do it. Uh, it will take a lot of time, and, and I may not be able to keep it up or be as consistent as I am uh, am right now, but I'm trying to have uh, a, a kind of a, a scriptural thought or a spiritual thought each day uh, to help you, and it will come largely, not always, sometimes other things may seem important to me, but largely following along with the Come Follow Me. Sometimes it will, uh, I'm, I'm hoping often, it will include some scripture study skills so that we can build up some of those scripture study skills. And um, it's going to be sometimes diving in a little bit deeper or spiritual thought. I hope that each day you can have just a a two to five minute thought uh, that uh, can boost you and can give you things to study with your families. I can give you things to study in in gospel doctrine uh, or just ways of getting more out of your Book of Mormon study. So that's at uh, EnlightenEdge.edu. I'll give you the long uh, website address, and then we found an easier way for you to reach this. So you can go to patreon.com slash EnlightenEdge.edu. That's kind of long and hard, and we'll put the link in the the show notes. But you can also, we've created a a website that will redirect you. So you can do TSAR, that's T-S-A-R, that stands for The Scriptures Are Real. So tsar.website. And that will redirect you to our Patreon site. So it's uh, our T-S-A-R dot website. We'll take you there. And we've been adding more materials. You've got all sorts of stuff from our Book of Mormon workshop and from uh, these lectures that we've been doing and uh, handouts that I've made and things like that. And we're going to continue to dump lots of material on there for you. And I'm reaching out to others to see if they have stuff they want to add on. Uh, we've got mental health things there and so on. But now you're going to have what's called daily bread. Look for daily bread. These will be some, uh, and, and I'm going to have some others, I hope, that will be willing to contribute to this. But uh, if you'll do some daily bread, or if you if you want some daily spiritual uplift, uh, go to that website and subscribe, and you can get some uh, great stuff. I, I believe it's great stuff for you every single day. Well, now let's let's uh, jump in and meet Anita. I just uh, want to tell you a little bit about Anita. We actually met when we were students together at the Jerusalem Center. Uh, I won't say when, maybe it's too long ago, but uh, in any case, we were on the intensive Hebrew program together, uh, and uh, I found Anita to be, uh, and, and still find her to be, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, uh, and and not just intelligent, but wise, like uh, uh, smart, but able to understand how things work together and so on, and then just one of the kindest and most fun and enjoyable people I've ever met, and so I'm thrilled to have her with us. I also remember uh, a book she wrote uh, years ago and and kindly sent me a copy that I've now read with my my grandson uh, called Nephi the Scriptures are True, which seems like a good uh, a, a good fit for this podcast. So maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about that book, Anita, and tell us more about yourself. Sure. Well, I was a Near Eastern Studies and Hebrew major with you, Carrie, and great memories of Israel and long ago. Um, but when I had young kids, I was reading them some of those church books that were out then that were all cartoons. And I felt like I wanted the kids to have this idea that those scriptures were real, just like your podcast. And um, those of you who are watching can see the copy of the book here, Nephi, Nephi, the scriptures are true. 
was an idea that came to me um, actually when I was sitting in the temple one early morning when I was pregnant with my fourth child and just kind of wrote it up. And what was really important to me was that the illustrations were not cartoons. I wanted it to feel like the scriptures were real, the scriptures were true. So I love what you're doing with your podcast, continuing that message for adults now. Yeah, that's uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. That's what I want people to know. So that's that's wonderful. Uh, what else should we know about you? Oh, well, I did the stay-at-home mom thing for many years, but I also taught early morning seminary for seven years. And so I have spent many hours and mornings trying to make the scriptures come to life for teenagers. And, and that's actually where I got the insight that I'd like to talk about today uh, when we talk about Nephi's vision. Uh, wonderful. I, I tell you, I think there's a special place in heaven for early morning seminary teachers. <laughs> and, and for I, I think for whoever invented the air conditioner, and for early morning seminary teachers, that's who gets a special place in heaven. And we there's a special. The, oh, oh, go early, ahead. The early morning of the first resurrection. <laughs> that's exactly. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I think that's right. That's right. Yeah. I think there's also a special place in hell for the guy who invented ties, but we can talk about that another time. So um, anyway, well, and as, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about Nephi's vision today uh, and what's made it real for you. And, and so why don't you just uh, jump in and take us where you'd like to go? Sure. So. Um, one of the highlight mornings teaching seminary that I ever had was when my sister-in-law brought one of her lambs. In April, they had baby lambs, and she brought them in, and they just ran around the blanket in the middle of the room, and the kids got to hold them. And, you know, seeing these teenagers touch these little furry creatures and love them was such a highlight. And I think it's the only thing probably the kids remember of that whole year. But, um, you know, when we came to the Book of Mormon studies the next year and seeing Nephi with this vision... And he says, you know, the angel says when he sees Mary with the baby, behold, the Lamb of God. And I just thought, oh, Nephi was a teenager like my kids here, you know, with a lamb, except he was a good Jewish boy. And so he knew really what that lamb meant. He might have, you know, had pet lambs and chosen the firstborn for Passover. And he really got the essence of the lamb symbolism. And so that really um, impacted me then as I read those next few chapters where we sometimes just get bogged down with you know, gather, gathering and scattering and church and great and abominable, all that stuff. But if you look for the lamb, it changes everything. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's do that. Hey, so guess how many times Nephi mentions lamb, like apostles of the lamb, lamb of God, church of the lamb. I, I, I wouldn't be able to guess, but I'd guess it's at least uh, 10 or more. Right? 54 times. Oh, through and highlighted, if you can see uh, my wow. book. All the highlights. It's amazing. He never refers to Jesus as Jesus or Lord or Messiah at once, but always as Lamb, Lamb of God, Apostles of the Lamb, Church of the Lamb, Blood of the Lamb. And for uh. me, this really changed everything. Thinking of Nephi, uh, you know, visualizing this vision with a lamb at the center of it, and but knowing, you know, what the lamb was, the Passover lamb. Uh. That's powerful, you know, and, and I just want to throw this in because we're just barely finished the book of Revelation. And I'm sure that our audience are seeing lots of parallels between uh, John's vision and Nephi's because it was in many ways the same vision, some different emphases and so on, but in many ways the same vision. And that's the the phrase that John uses as well, most often, right? That it's the Lamb of yeah. God. He sees well, this lion, but the lion is a lamb slain on the throne, right? Yeah. So exactly. uh, uh, that's... Um, that that's a really interesting parallel, and I I do wonder if like like you said he uses that phrase lamb frequently in the Gospel of John as well, and I wonder if it's not the influence of 
the vision that he saw that Nephi saw, and they both see him as the in this way as the the Passover lamb or the slain lamb. Yeah, and the thing that's actually so powerful for me about this too is, you know, you wonder why did the Nephites understand Jesus better than seems like the Old Testament Jews did sometimes, mm-hmm. and you know they didn't miss the mark. How did they they see him as you know the Messiah and the the Lamb of God. And if you look at that phrasing, Alma also uses the Lamb of God in Alma 13 when he's giving his great talk about the Melchizedek priesthood. And I think it comes up again in Helaman 6. And then even in the very end, Moroni uses it once in Mormon and in Ether. So like all the way through the blood of the Lamb is an essential part of their worship. And um, to me, that's just a really great testimony of, as we know, the Hebrew nature of the Book of Mormon, um, you know, that ancient origin Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It is cool. You're right. And there's so many little evidences of that Hebrew origin, but you're right. This is another one. That's that's fun. And even in Third Nephi, you remember when they're fighting the Gadianton robbers and um I think it's Gideon High comes out and they're covered, dyed in the lamb skin, you know, like the blood mm-hmm. of the lamb, and they're perverting it. But again, it's still a symbol for them. And of course, we don't know what kind of animals they had in the new world. Maybe they didn't have sheep as we know them, but still that symbol of the lamb um, was part of their religion for a thousand mm. years. Yeah. Well, it comes, it it's carried with them uh, or, or by Nephi and Lehi and Jacob and so on, who were familiar with lambs, whether they are or not in, in the new world, as you said. So mm-hmm. uh, wonderful. You, you know, we don't know why Lehi ended up in Jerusalem from the tribe of Manasseh, but when I think about Hezekiah instituting that Passover, like a hundred years before, where he invited all the tribes to come, I'm hoping Lehi's ancestors were some of those faithful people that came to that Passover. And so like the Passover symbolism would have been very important in his family to carry through. And anyway, I just love thinking of Nephi being a teenager with that lamb and, and visualizing yeah. that in that way. Uh, in fact, I would uh, I would posit we we can't know for sure, but I would I would posit that uh, Lehi is probably a young man or a youth when Josiah has that famous renewal Passover, right? And uh, that, that it probably came to be very very meaningful to him, and then hopefully he passes that on to his family because of that. Yeah, yeah. So one of those scripture skills they they tell us to emphasize, you know, as seminary teachers is visualization. So I think of Lehi's dream, we get a lot of paintings and artwork of that part, but I don't think we have as much of this vision. And so if you stick the lamb in there, it kind of helps to bring it to life. Mm. That's wonderful. If you look at all the phrasing, there's book of the lamb, church of the lamb, apostles of the lamb, gospel of the lamb, power of the lamb, kingdom of the lamb. Every time it's the lamb, the lamb of God. And I, I like how you pointed that out with the John connection and revelation. And it just really brings the Bible and Book of Mormon together again with that symbolism. Uh, it's it's powerful. And uh, one thing that if you wouldn't mind just exploring with me for a second, you you talked about how um, we get this sense pretty quickly that the Nephites have a different understanding of the Messiah than the people in Jerusalem whom they've left, right? And a lot of people uh, rephrase this as developing a Christology or something, but a, a, an understanding of Christ, which means Messiah, right? And uh, I mean, you can start to trace this pretty early on. You've got in the very first chapter, uh, Lehi sees someone who is like unto the Son of God uh, and and so on. But I think it's really this vision. Uh, well, Lehi's dream and then Nephi's vision, which are the same thing, just one is whether it happened while you're awake or not. But um, it's this one that uh, we don't know. How, they've got, they're at least 
mostly the same. There may be some differences we can't tell for sure. But uh, at least as we look at Nephi's version of it, which is the one we get more in depth, um, wow, the, the amount that he learns about who the Messiah is, that he's born of Mary and uh, that he's going to die for everyone. And that's a different understanding than what they have in the, uh, the old world. I think that, and it will continue to develop after this vision, you're going to have Jacob coming to re recognize some things about him, including the fact that he will be known to others by the name Christ and so on. Uh, whereas up until that point, they were using the phrase Messiah, which is the same word, but uh, Jacob, I'm assuming, understands that the, the translation of Messiah that will be carried to most people is, is Christos or something along those lines. Anyway, um, so it will continue to develop, but I think this is the vision that gives us our understanding of, the, well, the Nephites, their understanding of Christ, and by extension, us, our understanding of who Christ is through the Book of Mormon. And we have come to understand who Christ is and what he does from the Book of Mormon, I think, more than anywhere else. And so I think sometimes we underestimate how crucial that what Nephi learns about the Lamb of God is to the way you and I and our friends uh, in the church uh, understand Christ. This is the foundation of our understanding. Yes, and to see him as the sacrificial Passover lamb and to make that the foundation for their religion as Nephi teaches it and carries it through, I think, you know, marrying those concepts of Christ as the Passover lamb is something that escaped some of the Jews and yeah. they could be on the mark. And so I just think it's a beautiful symbol and um, such a powerful way that he's shown this in this vision. Yeah, I agree. And it, again, it kind of comes back. I don't know if Nephi sees him on the throne the same way John does. I mean, they, he talks about how at least the end of the vision is the same, but you don't have Nephi seeing all these seals and things like that. And it's in that context that John first sees the land, but there must be some similarity there, right? And so if we think of the the revelation that John has, it, it, it is startling that moment when, uh, if I remember right, it's in Revelation 5, but where it, it, they say the, the Lion of Judah can open the seals, right? So he looks to see the Lion of Judah, and what is it? It's a slain lamb, right? And that that highlights that that tension that I think uh, the, the Jews were expecting that lion mm -hmm. that would deliver them, and the way the lion delivers was by being a slain lamb. And John comes to understand that, Paul comes to understand that. Nephi, Lehi, Jacob, and the, all their descendants come to understand it. Uh, and hopefully, as you're saying, you know, it, you think of those little lambs that they can hold in their lap, your students were holding in their lap, and how meek they are, and uh, and then of, of slaying those. And that gives you a very different idea of what the Lion of Judah is. I know, a symbol to choose for yourself that's not the powerful conquering lion beast you know it's the the meek submissive ubiquitous farm animal yeah that's a lot about christ yeah wonderful well that's that's powerful anita and i think that will uh be able to really help uh, our audience to uh just think of that image and look for the imagery as they go through this vision and and try and figure out so i love your your idea of visualizing. And and I also like your idea. I mean, you showed us some serious scripture study skills here of going through and, oh, here's a phrase that's worth studying and studying that phrase in this vision, but also in the the Book of Mormon and, and seeing how does understanding this phrase change the way you understand the vision. So I hope that uh, 
our audience will do that, that they'll go through and identify the way that the, that um, image is used that you, you mentioned one, uh, you know, being washed in the blood of the lamb. That's, uh, that's an image that's frequent in the uh, Book of Mormon that is so uh, startling, right? To have your, your garments washed white in the blood of the lamb, because if you put your garments in blood, they don't get white, right? Um, and that may be a little bit keen off of uh, some Isaiah imagery as well. But anyway, uh, that's that's something that I hope our audience will start to see is how all of these things I'm excited to go. I'm going to go back and read this myself uh, with the lens that you've given me. So thank you for that lens. You'll notice he also talks about God being the good shepherd. And then in, I think it's in chapter 15 or 16 about the fold of God. So there's a lot of sheep imagery going on. And it's just beautiful when you see it through that. Uh. That's fantastic, because I think we'll come back to that in Third Nephi as well, when it's Christ himself, who is the lamb, who also talks about being the shepherd and, and uh, having, uh, you know, different folds. Uh, this is this is going to be a good theme. I think we're going to uh, see some different things in the Book of Mormon this year because of you. Thanks, Gary. Well, thank you. Fantastic stuff. Uh, so I, I hope uh, that our audience not only will experience this uh, wonderful you know, develop this scripture study skill and also experience this wonderful uh, way of of looking at this vision and uh, elsewhere in the Book of Mormon, but that you'll uh, share this with your friends uh, by word of mouth, by electronically, and in whatever other way that you'll like and download and everything else, um, and that you'll uh, really be able to draw something else out of this. I hope you'll also join us next week. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, uh, Andrew Skinner and Kent Brown and uh, Natalie Hunsaker will be our guests for next week. It's a kind of a, a packed week, but uh, some fun stuff. I mean, they do, they put a lot of stuff in there. If we're covering 16 through 22, we not only have the amazing uh, wilderness and going to the promised land narrative, but we've got some Isaiah chapters, right? So uh, a lot of, of packed stuff. So these two weeks where you do all of Nephi's vision, we could do that for uh, a long, long time. And then all of those chapters next week, This the, the Book of Mormon's dense and wonderful stuff, isn't it? It's a rich book. Still more to discover. Yeah. Well, maybe before we go, uh, would you mind just uh, bearing your testimony or telling your story uh, about the, your relationship with the Book of Mormon? I have loved the Book of Mormon since I was eight years old and first read it. I think I've read it more than 50 times. I, I love it. I love reading it every day. And the um, Hebrew symbolism is very meaningful to me with my academic background. But um, more than that, it's just the testimony of Christ that shines through every page and those people I look forward to meeting someday. Amen. Well, thank you, Anita, okay. and, and bless you and bless our audience. Thanks, Carrie.